In the Baptist churches of my childhood, we sometimes sang a chorus that maybe some of you know. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I was baptized when I was five years old in a Southern Baptist congregation. That's practically infant baptism in a uh, Baptist church. This year I will turn 50. And I wish I could report that for the last 45 years or so, there was, in fact, no turning back. But, of course, there has been. As I look at my own life, I recognize that I've never gotten to the point where I have outright rejected Christ or His claims or the promises of the gospel. But I have sometimes stopped in the middle of the road I sometimes sat down in the dirt, not willing to go where Jesus wants me to go. Sometimes I've walked my own path for a season, and sometimes I've followed Jesus with my feet, but I can't say that my heart was fully engaged. That simple childhood song really captures the heart of Christianity. Jesus called his disciples, these first disciples that we've just read about here in Mark chapter 1, all the way down to you and me today, Jesus calls on us to follow him. And yet, if we are honest, it's hard. In fact, the followers of Jesus sometimes resist that call to follow him. Sometimes we find ourselves far away from him. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you might think that this is really strange. Like, dude, if you don't like your God, go get a new one, right? I mean, you don't have to be loyal to the brand. Go find something that works for you. But I think that there's something to this call of Jesus that we have to wrestle with that we have to reckon with. And so this morning, I want to look at three characteristics of Jesus' call that help us understand what it means to follow Jesus. And as we work our way through this passage, I would like you to kind of file away a question. Start meditating on it as we work our way through Mark chapter 1. What has been my response to the call of Jesus? How have I heard his call? Am I following him? The first characteristic that I want you to see here in Mark chapter 1 is that the call of Jesus is an authoritative summons. Jesus does not come to Simon, and you know that Simon is also Peter. Later, Jesus will rename him Peter. So this is Simon Peter. Jesus doesn't come to Simon and to Andrew, James, and John with a sales pitch. He doesn't come to them telling them that they're missing something in their life. 
that they have a God-shaped hole that needs to be filled. He doesn't tell them that religion will make their life better. He doesn't tell them that they need some morality if they're going to raise their children. He doesn't even tell them that faith in him is the important bedrock to a civil society. Jesus doesn't plead with the disciples to make a choice. He simply says, follow me. And the audacity of his command is met by the immediacy of the disciples' reaction. In fact, Mark uses one of his favorite words twice in this passage. Simon and Andrew immediately leave their nets and follow Jesus, verse 18. Jesus immediately calls James and John, and they in turn follow him in verse 20. I find it fascinating how the different Gospels tell the same accounts of Jesus' life, what they choose to include, what they choose to exclude. Mark is focused laser-tight on Jesus' call and the disciples' response. He doesn't tell us, as we read in John chapter 1, that Peter and his brother Andrew already knew Jesus. He doesn't tell us, as we read in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus is actually sitting in Peter's boat teaching and then performs a miracle before he calls these men to follow after him. Why? Because Mark wants us to feel the pressure. Mark wants us to sense the urgency of Jesus' royal summons, follow me. That's what drives the four men to follow Jesus. The king has summoned them into his service, and they have no choice but to fall in line behind him. Jesus' call is an authoritative summons. The second characteristic that I want you to see is that the call of Jesus is all-consuming. Jesus meets these men in the midst of their normal, everyday lives, and then he ruins them. Life is never going to be the same for these guys again. They leave behind their livelihood. They leave behind their families. They begin this day what will become a 24 hours a day, seven day a week existence with Jesus that will last about three years. I want you to imagine for a second the confusion that they left behind them. Zebedee. The father of James and John, evidently a very successful businessman. We read here in Mark chapter 1 that he had hired servants there in the boats with him. It's the end of a long day of fishing. They are mending the nets, putting things back together, ready to push out into the Sea of Galilee again the next day to do the hard work that he has trained up his boys to do probably from the time that they were very young. And now he's watching them walk down the beach. Where are you going? What are are you doing? James and John, get back here. You can almost put yourself there. Peter and Andrew, they leave behind boats and nets. 
People all around them undoubtedly wondering, what are you doing? Even today, in a rapidly secularizing culture, a little religion is seen as a good thing. You know, we, we appreciate the pastor who officiates mom's funeral. If someone is, a, you know, for suffering and a coworker or a family member tells us that they're praying for us, that's a comfort. Uh, people still like to come to baptisms and to weddings, even if they're not part of a church. But let's not get too strange about it. Let's not get fanatical about it. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus will not be compartmentalized. It's an all-or-nothing approach when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. If you are following Jesus, it will affect your finances. If you're following Jesus, it will affect your sex life. If you're following Jesus, it will affect your leisure time, your anger problems, your judgmental attitudes. Jesus isn't an accessory to an already full life. He isn't an aftermarket add-on. For the first disciples, commitment to Jesus takes precedence over everything over their livelihood, over their work, their employment, over their family, their relationships. And how fascinating that in today's church, we often lead our evangelistic encounters with, do you want a better family? Do you want meaning and purpose to your work? Come to Jesus. I don't think Jesus cares about those things. Not the way that we think he should. Jesus doesn't seem to care. He upends the entire thing. He is not out to bring a little extra something to your already full life. He isn't out to increase the sum total of your happiness. His call is all-consuming. It's an authoritative summons. It's an all-consuming call. And the third characteristic of Jesus' call, this call will require sacrifice. It will cost you. We go back and forth on this a little bit. It's the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian. Because all it takes is a recognition that I can't save myself. That I have to look to Jesus alone to save, you, save me. But at the very same time, being a Christian is probably one of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life. Some of you know the painful sacrifice. You're the only Christian in your family. And that has interrupted what should otherwise be joyful family celebrations. It has led to searching questions from brothers and sisters, moms and dads. You're on the outside looking in. Some of you know the rejection of family and friends who mock you because you have made hard decisions about sex and marriage because of your commitment to Christ. No, I'm not going to turn and 
date someone who is not a Christian. No, I'm, I'm not going to pursue that relationship. No, I'm not going to get into bed with that person. You tell me, what other sacrifices have you had to make? Some of them are painful. Some of them feel like they are lifelong. Friends, being a Christian isn't just a matter of inner commitment or quiet resolve. You can't say that I will follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me too much. You can't say that I will follow Jesus as long as I don't have to change. As long as I don't have to change what I think or what I say or what I do. Following Jesus will cost you. In fact, that chorus that we sang together, that chorus is based on the last words of a martyr in India. The first Christian in his village who when they came for him and his wife and his children and even as they began to kill them in front of him, he said, I will follow Jesus. I don't think that you and I are ever going to be in that situation. I don't think that you and I will ever have a choice between our commitment to Christ and our life. And you know what? Frankly, based on my track record, I'm glad. But what sacrifice is God asking of you today? Jesus's authoritative summons is an all-encompassing call that requires sacrifice. And you look back at me and you say, how? How in the world? How can anybody do this? How is it even possible then to be a follower of Jesus? You know, by the end of Mark's gospel, all four of these men, they're still standing. They haven't always done the right thing. They haven't always understood what Jesus was calling them to do, but they will keep going, following Jesus until they die. Church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down in the city of Rome, that Andrew was likely martyred in what is today modern-day Syria, John, as far as we can tell, is the only disciple of the twelve who probably died of natural causes, and yet he himself was persecuted, sent to live in exile on the island of Patmos. It's not always easy. It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. And I'm so glad that the Bible gives us the story of Peter to help us understand the reality of following Jesus. I mean, think about it. Peter, who is called Satan by Jesus, when he tries to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross, Peter, who denies knowing Jesus three times before Christ is crucified, Peter, who even after he is reinstated into ministry, after he preaches the amazing Pentecost sermon where 3,000 people come to Christ, Peter, who was called out by Paul for not walking in line with the gospel in the book of Galatians, even Peter continues to struggle to follow Jesus well into his ministry. 
through victories and defeats, fits and starts, these men heard his call and they followed Jesus. So here's the question that I asked you to hold on to. Have you? The question doesn't come to you like it came to them. It isn't Jesus himself speaking to you. But that question resounds through the ages. From the men that he first gave that call to and the men that they have passed it on generation after generation, men, women, boys, and girls calling to one another to follow Jesus. Are you following Jesus? I think we need to be brutally honest here and acknowledge that some of us are not. Some of you are here out of compulsion. You're here because a parent has told you that as long as you live under their roof, you're going to go to church. Or maybe you're in a relationship. And you love the person that you're sitting next to. And even though they take this far more seriously than you do, you're willing to come to church, but you haven't really followed Jesus. And folks, that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, why would you change anything about your life because of a Galilean carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago? That's insane. What if he is something more? Follow me, Jesus says in verse 17, and I will make you fishers of men. I don't know that I've heard a weirder job title, right? Fishers of men, especially when you let that imagery really sink in a, a hook in the mouth, a struggle. A fight for life before you break the surface and then gasping before you die? Where in the world does this metaphor come from? Jesus is using an Old Testament metaphor for God's judgment. You find it in Jeremiah 16, Amos chapter 4, among other places. And it was God threatening judgment threatening that he would send fishermen with hooks and nets to haul people to judgment. Well, Jesus is turning that metaphor on its head, and he's saying that his disciples will rescue men and women, boys and girls from the wrath that is to come. And instead of God's judgment falling on you and me who deserve it for our sins, those who heed Jesus' call to repent and believe, those who follow Jesus as their king will be spared that judgment. How? Because the God who demands all has given all. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Friends, the one who stands on the sea of Galilee, on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he's not just a rabbi. He's not just 
a carpenter. He is God himself. And the one who calls to you today is the king who has laid down his own life before he ever asks you to lay down yours. After the first service, someone approached me and said, Eric, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know what this looks like. What does it look like in its practicalities when I get up and I have to go to, to work and taking care of my family? What, is, what, what do you mean by following Jesus? Here, folks, I don't know how it's going to affect you in everyday life. I don't know what that's going to look like for you tomorrow or exactly what decisions you're going to face. But here's what I would ask you to pay attention to. Pay attention when your heart is tugged. Pay attention to the tears that fall. Pay attention to the desires that you know you can't act on, the choices that you must make that put you at odds with your family and friends. That's where the call of Jesus becomes real to you in that moment. Follow me, Jesus says. Folks, this is an offer that you can't refuse. You can't ignore this. It is a royal summons to be part of the kingdom of God. It is a call for you to rediscover who you were made to be. This may be the first time that you've ever heard this call. This may be the hundredth time. Maybe you've never turned to Jesus before. Or maybe like me, you find yourself hoisting yourself up from the dirt. Friends, he is calling you. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, may we hear the voice of Jesus calling us away from ourselves, away from the inclinations that we so easily fall into. May we hear that voice and know that he has paved the way with his own blood so that we might be known as his people, as his children, as the brothers and sisters of Christ. Father, give us the faith to believe, to follow after him, our King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.